Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technology with support from USDA Rural Business Cooperative. So, um, so thank you, Bryn, uh, for being with us on ETRA's uh, Voices from the Field podcast. I'm really pleased that Bryn Smith is, joins us um, as he's the executive director of Green Wave. And um, I'm just going to let you, Bryn, uh, just kind of uh, start off telling us a little bit about, uh, about you give a short intro of who Bryn Smith is and, um, and, and why it is that you do the things you do. Sure. It's an honor to be on. Thanks so much for... Uh, for inviting me, the you know as you said, I'm executive director of Green Wave. We're a nonprofit that's trying to train a new generation of of ocean farmers. The um, I'm a I'm a regular guy. I mean, I was a high school dropout, headed out uh, to become a commercial fisherman when I was 14, fished the globe, and over the years of just trying to figure out how do we farm the ocean in a sustainable way, how do we fish the ocean. In a, in a sustainable way, ended up with something that I call 3D uh, ocean farmer farming, and really what that is is polyculture in the ocean. Um, and so, well, we we take small areas of ocean and grow a whole mix of species. We grow seaweeds and shellfish, uh, kelp, gracilaria, mussels, scallops, uh, oysters, and use those to not only feed local communities but to restore our seas and help fight climate change. So we soak up carbon, we soak up nitrogen, we rebuild reef systems. And we really think of it as you know, polyculture that's, that, that's restorative, both uh, building local economies while breathing life back into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just a mouthful too because, um, <clears throat> I mean, you touched on some of the elements, you know, and some of, some of the ecological, you know, problems that you might be addressing or whatever, but uh, what is it that got you into this? What did you notice? What, what was the impetus for you uh, getting into this, uh, into this line of work? What is the importance to you of this whole idea of ecological fisheries management? Yeah, so, I mean, I look, at the, I look back on my life and it's sort of an arc of ecological redemption because when I was in the Bering Sea fishing for cod and crab, it was just the height of industrialized fishing. So, we were tearing up entire ecosystems with our trawls, chasing fewer and fewer fish further and further out to sea. And most of the fish I was catching was going to McDonald's for the fish sandwich. So as a kid, I mean, I loved my job, but it was some of the most unsustainable uh, food production on the planet, producing some of the unhealthiest food uh, on the planet. <laughs> and then um, the cod stocks crashed uh, while I was out in the Bering Sea, and that was a wake-up call for a whole generation of us that, you know, wanted to spend our life working at sea, but if with the decline of the fishery, that wasn't going to be possible. So I went to the salmon farms in northern Canada because that was supposed to be the answer. Right? Aquaculture was supposed to reduce pressure on fish stocks mm-hmm. and feed the planet, create jobs. But instead, it was really more of the same. And looking back, I, you know, see that as essentially growing neither fish nor food. It was Iowa pig farms at sea. So I left that kind of disillusioned and kept searching and ended up in Long Island Sound and began as an oysterman and then, uh, you know, uh, evolved from there. 
Well, um, yeah, I, I think one one of the things that's exciting about about your journey, you know, is is the whole idea of ecological redemption, you know, and you know, it, it, it's not merely um, it's not merely you know trying to answer questions of you know uh, how how do we take better care of the planet, but I think you've got a holistic look. That's kind of what I was getting. I mean, you're talking you're talking about people. I mean, you worked with the fishermen you were the fishermen you worked with the people at the at the canneries or the uh, yeah. you know it's a you, you this whole lifestyle this whole um uh economy that's that that that's been developed over eons on on the coast um you know uh it might be in some bit of turmoil i mean can you speak to that a little bit and perhaps how you know this type of ecological approach can address uh the whole system yeah, I mean, it is stunning to see hundreds of years of culture uh, and local economy you know, built up, destroyed overnight because of ecological collapse. And that's what happened in the cod fishery in Newfoundland. And then up and down the East Coast, you know, thousands of uh, boats beached, canneries emptied. And it's just heartbreaking because these are... Like these aren't just jobs. It's not just making money. There, there's a certain professions, whether it's think coal mining, think steel workers are this way, um, farmers, mm-hmm. I'm sure, that just mm. it comes with an entire identity. And what I, you know, the way I think of it is, it these there's certain professions that we want to keep uh, as we move forward into this new economy that we can sing songs about, like the pride of feeding the country, mm-hmm. building the country, powering the country. Like those, that's really meaningful stuff. And so this isn't just for us out in the ocean. It's not just about job creation, not just about growing food, but really, you know, keeping that pride and identity, cultural identity that I've had since I've been a kid. I think all of that in my life I've seen, you know, under threat and people, you know, employment continually uh, continuing to rise, less and less fish out there. And so we just really need to pivot and figure out a completely new strategy, not only like how to be stewards of the seas, but how do you build a new kind of economy that serves people, serves the planet, um, and just not a, not a set of short-term interests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes me think of something, <clears throat> you know, that I that that I heard you say one time. It's you know, it's it's like, you know. Uh, um, you know, you're talking about a new paradigm, you know, it's building an economy that is completely different from the industrialized co- economy that we have. Yeah. That's what we're used to. How how do people respond to you? I mean, how do the fisher folk out there, you know, who have been doing this for generation after generation, how, how are they responding? How how are the, the, the yeah. aquaculturists, you know, responding mm-hmm. to, to, to this message? Sure. I mean, first of all, what we – I mean, if there's one thing – we do at Green Wave is to look at all the mistakes made by industrial aquaculture and all the mistakes made by industrial agriculture and try not to make them again. I mean, our motto in a way is like, how do we do food right? How do we do agriculture Mm -hmm. right? The beautiful thing about the oceans right now is they're essentially a blank slate. And so we have this opportunity to build an economic and food system from the bottom up where we weave these key principles of economic justice of access, of, you know, polyculture, not monoculture, of giving low-income people access to leases, all these things, we can weave that into the DNA of this new ocean industry. And that's really Mm -hmm. exciting. And I think we have all this momentum. You know, we have requests to start farms in every coastal state in North America and 20 countries around the world. We're just a small 
group of people here, but there's this kind of tsunami of interest. What we did right from the start, everybody wanted me to, you know, patent or put IP on the farming model we developed. And I, I said, no, that's a tool of the old economy. What we need to do is open source this and build a farm that anybody can farm and sort of be a nail salon model of the sea. So we structured it so anybody with 20 acres and a boat, $20,000 can start their own farm, be up and farming the first year. And that minimum uh-huh. capital requirement is the key to replication. And so we have, you know, 11th generation fishermen, third generation lobstermen. I've got indigenous, indigenous tribal folks. And I have a, a whole um, new generation of young land-based farmers who want to start farms, can't afford land, can't afford all, all the capital required to start up on land coming to us because it's cheap and easy to build. And the opportunity uh-huh. for them, I think, is it just was surprising to me that there would be so much interest on the land-based side, but it's because it's that that sort of low barrier to entry that's um, it's been the secret. So the response has been, I mean, so the fishermen when we first started were skeptical. You know, we're not going to grow vegetables. And quite honestly, like uh-huh. I miss chasing fish around the globe. We're like the last commercial hunters out there. Um, uh-huh. And now I'm like a you know, arugula farmer. I can't hang out the same bars I used to. You know, I don't have any high speed <laughs> stories. And, like it's a quiet little life, and that's embarrassing. But the, what we say to fishermen, and cultural training is really key, is we say, listen, we're not going to be able to be hunters of the sea. That's just one out of four marine species are threatened with extinction, era climate change, um, uh, you know, 90% of um, – uh, major fish stocks are overexploited. We just can't go in this direction. But what we can do is retain that key part of our identity by becoming restorative ocean farmers. We get to um, live in. Uh, we get to um, work on the water. Uh, we don't have bosses. We succeed on our uh, and uh, fail on our own terms. We have self-directed lives, and we have the pride of helping feed the country. Like we get to keep that part of our soul, and that's that mm-hmm. part of our identity that we can still write songs about. So that, that's a whole discussion we have in our trainings that's turned out to be really important for the, you know, strong-willed fishers out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the most compelling things that, that, that you said was um, was the identity of the, of, of the fishermen, you know. Um, it, 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 it's more than just, you know, a job to them, it's, it's a way of life. I mean, there's just something yeah. about the repetition of setting gear, uh, maintaining boats, of, of, of riding the swells to the fishing grounds. I mean, it's a, it's a culture. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and the fact that, you know, that throughout this whole uh, process, you've, you've, you've addressed something that is so elemental um, that gets people right in their chest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think that's something that's really compelling, not only for me, uh, but 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 for especially for uh, the people on the coast who are looking out to see, trying to trying to find any way they can to maintain that livelihood. You know, not only because it's something that they enjoy, it's their lifestyle, but this is how they feed their family. You know, um, exactly. And we've talked. And, and, we, think- and we've talked about. Uh huh. No, no. Go ahead. No, well, we've talked about you know, um, um, you know uh, how people are responding and, and such like that, and and, and I think that that uh, just goes further into uh, an explanation of exactly what 
3D ocean farming is. I mean, you told us a little bit about how it's multitrophic and this and that, but how is GreenWave, you know, in this particular system, how is it addressing uh, some of the ecological problems that that we have? Um, And what are some of the things that you're doing uh, for coastal communities in the holistic sense? Sure. So, I mean, it's hard to tell what we're doing underneath there because, you know, we're under, underneath the water. And so I would mm-hmm. say, imagine an underwater garden, right? And we've got these hurricane-proof anchors on the edges and then just mm-hmm. ropes that go about eight feet of, uh, below the surface. And then we just grow our crops from there. We hang our kelp, which grows down um, uh, from the, the horizontal ropes. Next to that, we've got mussels and mussel socks and scallops and our lantern nests. And below all um, <laughs> those species, we have... Um, oysters in cages, <coughs> and then uh, uh, clams down in the mud. And the whole idea is how many different things can we grow in 20 acres using a 3D model. The benefit of, the, of um, growing this way is one uh, really small footprint because we're using the entire water column. My farm used to be 100 acres. It's down to 20. I'm growing way more food than before. Anybody can boat and fish and swim on our farms, so it has a really low aesthetic impact, and that that's really important. So it it protects the uh, oceans as commons, creates this community space where people come and you know swim through our kelp forests and kayak and and fish. Um, and you know the having a low aesthetic impact. Everybody thinks aquaculture, and they see salmon pens. It's a big industrial model. Mm-hmm. We're the exact um, exact opposite. The other key here is. We only grow things that are zero input. So that means no fresh water, no, no feed, no fertilizer, horse, no land. That makes it the most sustainable form of food production on the planet. And everyone asks, like, oh, why will people eat this disgusting stuff called seaweed, um, uh, <laughs> shellfish? And the, the cl- we are entering a time of the creation of a new climate economy, and we will be eating more sea plants and bivalves because zero-input food is going to be the most affordable food on the planet to grow and eat, right? We're seeing water prices go up, uh, uh, feed land prices all go up. Uh, that gives us an advantage. And luckily, this um, what's going to happen is um, ocean plants and bivalves aren't going to be just this high-end boutique food, but it's going to, going to be center of the plate. The um, other piece about the farming model is that you know, we do kelp, we do grass layer, we do these shellfish, but it's just the beginning. There are over 10,000 edible plants in the ocean, a couple hundred kinds of shellfish. Right? Imagine being a chef these days and finding out there were corns, arugulas, spinaches, tomatoes that you've never seen, tasted, or cooked with before. Like, it uh-huh. can be a really exciting moment uh, uh, for, um, as a chef, to try to make this new seafood plate with um, what we call sea greens and, and uh, bivalves. Uh, at the center of the plate. Um, and, and just and, to go to your other and, piece. You, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just, um, I, it brought up the question of uh, there's a lot of these species out there that we, that we just never heard of. I mean, we all eat salmon and shrimp and tilapia, you know. I mean, that's what we know, yeah. you know, yeah. as, a, a, yeah. a, a, as a society. Um, uh, how, how are you... How are you able to take, you know, this unfamiliar um, food uh, and and turn it into something that that that, that people are going to want? I mean, I know that's probably a pretty a pretty big job, but what are some of the structures that you that, that that you're putting in place to do that? Yeah, so I mean, we're at a, we're at a, we're lucky in that we're this incredible 
you know, enlightenment period of food culture in the U.S. So we uh-huh. worked with a whole network of great chefs. What's interesting about sea greens, it took me a long time to figure this out, is that it's not, you can't treat it as seafood. This isn't to be wrapped around salmon or put in a seaweed salad. Um, uh-huh. We really want to denutrify it, right? Our thing is let's make kelp the new kale. So one of the dishes that does really well that uh, we serve all the time in New York City is a barbecue kelp noodles with parsnips and breadcrumbs. Like that doesn't, uh-huh. that's not what you think of in terms of seaweed and seafood. Delicious, sells out every night. We're doing kelp jerkies, bouillon cubes. You know, there's all these things we can make out of the seaweed. And if, um, uh, as long as we stay on this journey of desutrifying, what's interesting about sea greens is there's an entire Western culinary history of uh-huh. um, people eating seaweeds. So whether it's the kelp highway up through Peru, where it was eaten regularly, Italian culture ate it, um, uh, used it in sauces, and all sorts of dishes if you go back three generations. Irish, it was a core, core part of their uh, diet, on and on. And so part of this is about reviving that culinary history because, you know, industrial food really pushed it off the uh, off the plate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, that's, that's pretty, it's, it's pretty amazing, um, you know, to dig into, you know, cultural heritage or whatever. And, and, and like you said, there's, there's a, a definitely a local food movement, I think, that is giving yep. us um, an, awful, an awful lot of credence, right? Uh, th- there seems yeah. to be a market out there for it, for sure. I guess it's just a, uh, a a point of developing an infrastructure, which I understand you're trying to do as well. Not only with yeah. the food side, but on but 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 on the uh, on on the production side. Tell us a little exactly. bit about what you're doing to help farmers uh, get started in this. Exactly, and this has been a complicated journey because we need to figure. I mean, you know what? Yeah, the last number I saw, 2012, 91% of land-based farmers lost money right that uh-huh. year. Right? We, don't, we don't have a functional farming uh, economy for the small-scale farmers in the U.S., so we need to do things differently. So we've been just trying to figure out what's the right eco- like economic ecosystem, the right staging to, <laughs> to create a foundation where farmers um, can really succeed. So we created two entities. One is a nonprofit that's Green Wave, and the other is a for-profit called Sea Green Farms. And uh, the nonprofit Green Wave does three things: it does the training and education, it uh, in order to get people up and going. It does the policy. We've got a campaign we're going to roll out called Legalize the Other Weed because it's you're not allowed to grow uh, seaweeds in a lot of in most states. Um, so we mm-hmm. do that policy work, and then and then uh, third we do um, R and D. You know, uh, lower mm-hmm. you know energy efficiencies, the hatcheries, mobile hatcheries, solar powered boats, things like that. And then the for profit does that capital intensive stuff that happens on land. It does seafood hubs, it does hatcheries, and it does market development. And what's key about the for profit side is it buys everything our farmers to grow. So if you're a farmer mm-hmm. who comes through a green wave training program, you get two years of support, like direct consulting. We help you with permits. You get free seed. You get winter gear uh, from Patagonia. And we agree to 80, buy 80%. We connect, you know, we connect you with the for-profit, which agrees to buy 80% of whatever you grow at triple the market rate. So that allows our farmers to, they don't have to worry about where to sell this weird stuff. Uh, Seagreen Farms mm-hmm. can do that. So that mix has been key of like what's for profit, what's non profit, how do you launch this new generation and ensure they're successful. 
Well, it's 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 really a, a, a pretty amazing model. Um, and you said that you've got people all over the world who are interested in this. I mean, um, you know, how are you how are you meeting this demand? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a real. We're a small uh, organization at this point. I mean, Greenwave's only been around uh, under two years. We've got ten farms mm-hmm. up and running. This year we'll be at twenty-five. Next year we have our first two farms we're supporting in California, and we're about to begin open an office in in Europe. So we're expanding. But what scale looks like to us is um, like what does this look like if it's all over the globe? I think of them as Greenwave reefs. So twenty-five mm-hmm. to fifty farms regionally, um, small-scale farms. You surround them in conservation zones. Then you have a seafood hub and a hatchery based in a struggling community. Then a ring mm-hmm. of institutional buyers, the Googles that we work with, the Patagonias, and entrepreneurs doing value-added products like the kelp jerkies and the uh, fertilizers and the animal feeds, things like that. And then you take that rep- mm-hmm. that green wave reef and you replicate it up and down the coast and around the globe. And that's how you get to network scale. That's where you actually create mm-hmm. jobs, communities benefit, you're producing incredible amount, um, you know, huge amount of food, but it doesn't look like a thousand, you know, it doesn't look like, you know, uh, huge banana plantations out in the ocean. It's a completely um, different model. Well, it, it, it's a completely different model. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's based upon, uh, upon the small scale ideal and uh, what I would call true, true you know, democratic action and entrepreneurialism, right? I mean, yeah. because you've got you've got people in all walks of. You think about food, you know. I mean, it, how it impacts all of our lives, um, uh, from 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 production to processing to marketing to to uh, yeah. to, to culinary arts, you know, uh, uh, everything, right? And so mm-hmm. you've got each one of these actors, and I think that's one of the really cool things about it. Um, mm. And another thing I like is, is is just with respect to the farms themselves, they're so low impact. You know, a picture yeah. of your farm, well, you'll, you'll see a couple of buoys, right? That's it. Exactly. I call it the worst eco tour on in the country. You know, you come out, pay five hundred <laughs> bucks for a tour, and there's nothing to see, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really, exactly. But the, you know, the it, other it, thing is that um, I mean, uh, two other points. One is. You know, the goal, we have to, in the era of climate change, move beyond sustainability and actually into restored, you know, restoration. Um, mm-hmm. if, we were, if we were to set aside our entire oceans as, a marine, as marine parks, they were still going to die because of acidification, water temp increases, uh, and climate change in general. And what we need to do is have these small-scale farmers breathing life back into our oceans. I mean, a New Yorker called our farm the culinary equivalent of the electric car. Because we're soaking up wow. five times more carbon than land-based plants. We're filtering mm-hmm. literally millions of gallons of water a day, pulling nitrogen out of the water column. We're rebuilding reefs. And the, the potential is huge. A World Bank study came out, and if you were to take 5% of U.S. territorial waters, turn them into this type of ocean farm, you could create enough protein equivalent to 69 trillion hamburgers. You could uh, soak up um, uh, the carbon output of 20 million cars in the U.S., and you could create over 50 million direct jobs. I mean, the scale here is, uh, is just absolutely it, it is. stunning. It is. It's um, amazing, it, and, and, and it – well, it, it, it's amazing, and it, and it, and it completely impacts in, in a, a, a cross-section of, of, of 
our footprint on the water and on the land. And, and, and that's what I, I find it real compelling. We've got just a few minutes left, Brent, but so I, you know, as, as we move, move forward here, you know, the question on our mind is, you know, how do, uh, how do interested people get involved in this? How do they get in touch with you? What's the best, what's the first thing they need to, they need to know? Yeah, so if you come to greenwave.org, we've got a place where you can sign up for our farmer training program. Uh, you can sign up to volunteer. We take fellows. Um, you know, in the future, we're hoping to do things like create community gardens where people can go out, learn about mm-hmm. open farming, be introduced to, to it. I think there are a lot of ways people, people can engage, but greenwave.org is, the, is, is, is definitely the place to start. Very good. And, uh, you know, with that, you know, we'll uh, have to terminate a conversation that I could just go on forever with you, for sure, Brent. I really <laughs> appreciate fun. you coming on board. Maybe we can have you back again sometime because, uh, again, there's there's so much here, um, and it is a production system, a full system, I think, that's got an awful lot of promise. And I salute you and people like you for, for uh, uh, taking this type of thing on. Thank you, Brent. I really appreciate Thanks talking so to you much. today. Thanks so much for having us on. It was great. You bet. You bet. Bye. You can find other episodes of ATRA, Voices from the Field, along with ATRA's other sustainable agriculture resources at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org.